1: Know
2: what I want. <laughs> I want Hello and welcome to the Raptors extra weekly podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk, and today not an extra weekly podcast at all, really, just a series preview podcast. The Raptors have booked their ticket to the NBA Finals against the Golden State Warriors. I thought that there isn't really anyone better to preview that series with than somebody who's been writing about the league at large, Michael Pina. He's written some of the coolest features I've seen of anybody in the playoffs so far. Michael, how are you doing, man?
0: I'm doing fantastic, dude. How are you?
2: I'm, I'm great. The team I grew up loving and the team I cover now is in the NBA Finals for the first time. So it's, everything has been sublime. And also, I forgot to mention, you're the lead writer or a lead writer for SB Nation, which I didn't give you in your introduction, but here we are now. Are you excited to cover the series or what, man?
0: I am. And, you know, heading into the regular season even, I thought that there was a really good chance that Toronto would be here. I'm just such a big Kawhi Leonard fan, and I I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about him and his impact in the series and his impact in Toronto. But my question to you really quick is... Did you sleep after Game 6?
2: Um, I actually I ran a really long race at 7, or sorry, 8 the morning after. I agreed to do it with my friend Beto, and it was like the worst idea to do ever. <laughs> but I got, I got to bed, because it was euphoric, right, as a Raptors fan, and just mm-hmm. how much of a payoff it was for just the way they played in the playoffs, and... I got to bed at, like, 3 in the morning probably because even if I wanted to sleep, there'd be, like, this new piece of content that came out, like, Blake's Gamer coming out. You're like, oh, okay, well, I have to read this. You're riding the high. If, like, (laughs) anybody's reaction podcast besides mine comes out, I'm like, oh, I could listen to that. I just, you wanted to, or I wanted to prolong the feeling of just world beaters. It it was, yeah, I didn't get much sleep. It was something else. (laughs) How about you? How do you sleep?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I was in, uh, I was in Michigan visiting my in-laws, and I, I, I mean, I'm not a Raptors fan, <laughs> but it was really cool just to see the reaction from the city and all the people. And I have a lot of friends who are Raptors fans, and I mean, anytime you break through like this after all the heartache, I can't think of a franchise that came so close so many times, and for them to finally do it, it was just really cool to see.
2: Yeah, it's it has just been one of the coolest things, and I'm actually I'm not as giddy as I thought I would be, which is which is a good thing and a bad thing because I had this expectation of what I would be like if the Raptors ever found that success, and I'm like more calm, and being calm is generally a good thing. So so there's that as well. Well, also
0: you you want more, right? Oh yeah, so, totally. Yeah,
2: it's yeah that's that's exactly the point actually because I remember being thinking that the Raptors had no chance beating the Cavs when they went to six games. And everybody talked about it. There's that famous Louis Scola quote that when he was talking to Bruce Arthur, when they were talking about the series, he was like, I don't think the Cavs tried that hard in game three. Like, that's right. what Louis Scola said, like the player for the Raptors. So for any conjecture that says the two games the Raptors took off the Cavs, they weren't really real, followed up by the next two years getting swept, You were just happy for the Raptors to find any, a modicum of success at all. But this year, the Warriors looking a little bit more like they could be taken off the mountaintop the way that the Raptors, they performed at a really high clip to beat the Bucks. It seems like, and I, when I've talked about it, I've evoked the '04 4 Pistons. It seems like maybe that's a possibility and I've completely talked myself into it, so... That's where yeah you're probably correct. That's where the lack of giddiness comes from. Uh, <laughs> a war ready, war ready.
1: <laughs> I guess yeah. I want
2: to. The first thing I want to talk about with you is we just talked about the lack of giddiness, and maybe because I I had predicted the Bucks to win, and I was kind of resigned that you know what the Bucks are really good. The Raptors they might not get there, and the Raptors they they won the four straight, starting with Game Three. They finished it in six. You predicted the Raptors would win. I predicted the Bucks would win. You don't even write for the Raptors and I do. What did the Raptors do that made them win? And what part of what they did fulfilled you picking them for winning this series?
0: I think for me the the big thing was I just have not had a lot of faith in the Bucks. I I think the Bucks their roster was built With, you know, a lot of depth, a lot of complementary pieces. They had three-point shooting. They could go five out and let Giannis attack. I just did not have a lot of faith in that strategy holding up throughout a a lengthy playoff run. I mean, Giannis is terrific, but he is flawed. And a lot of people were not willing to acknowledge his flaws um, in half-court basketball. And I think we saw uh, in that series just how thin and one-dimensional they could be when you kind of took away Giannis as a scorer, which they did by transitioning Kawhi Leonard's responsibility and putting Kawhi onto him. Kawhi, you know, Kawhi, it it was definitely not, it'd be foolish to say it was a uh, one-man job there. Uh, He had a lot of help behind him. They would overload on the strong side a ton, Uh, but... The thing about Kawhi is if you're not 100 percent confident in your in your handle, and even if you are, you just don't want to dribble the basketball around him. So you would see Giannis, you know, kick out to open three point shooters in the corner and, you know, get rid of the ball, I think a little sooner than we saw in other series against the Pistons, against the Celtics and all throughout the regular season. So I think that that move was something I was waiting for after the first two games. That was the most logical adjustment Nick Nurse could make. He made it like a really good coach, the really good coach that he is. Um, And then, I mean, it's just kind of like I did not have faith in guys like Eric Bledsoe. I did not have faith in Miritich's defense. I did not have faith in, you know, George Hill and Pat Connaughton both tore the Celtics up. I just did not think that that would continue going against a a, a team that did not have the question marks that the Celtics had throughout the regular season. Um, and so you add all that up, and then also I'm just, I'm the biggest Kawhi Leonard fan I have been for like, I don't, I don't even know how long, I guess, since he won his finals MVP, probably even a little bit before that. Um, I just think he's everything that you want in a basketball player. He, you, we saw him not only defend Giannis, but have this incredibly high usage throughout the series. Uh, you know, um, the way he made plays when they would collapse on him after he beat Chris Middleton off the bounce. Uh, I just have the utmost respect for him. And I think he was the best player in the series. And when, uh, when something is as tight as it was from an, uh, you know, an analysis perspective, I usually just take whoever I think can take over a close game at the end. And Kawhi is the epitome of someone who can take over a close game at the end. So uh, there were some question marks for me with Toronto's roster and their depth, which I know you want to talk about and their bench, but I also was a little, you know, I did not think someone like Fred Van Fleet would continue to play as terribly as he did. I did not expect him to explode, Um, but I did not expect him to be just this complete non-factor either. And so when you add in a little bit of a boost from the bench, Kawhi Leonard being dominant, um, I've, you know, the, the narrative with Kyle Lowry has always been a little bit rubbish to me. Uh, I thought, you know, he played tremendously well throughout the series, uh, and I really wasn't worried about Eric Bledsoe outplaying him. So, I mean, that's just kind of a long ramble, I guess, <laughs> but uh, everything I kind of thought would happen, even after the first two games, uh, did, I guess, and, um, and you know, I, I just think that the Toronto Raptors were a better basketball team heading into the series.
2: Yeah. For me, and like you pointed to, when games are close, usually the best player in the between the two teams wills his team to victory. And that was, I hopped on a Bucks podcast to preview the series, and the the guys I I was talking to, they suggested that the games would be close, but they were still picking the Bucks in five. And I was like, well, if you guys think the games are close, if they are close, I think the Raptors win the series. But I I picked Bucks in six because I thought that the three-pointers would kind of dogpile the raptors for a couple games. They didn't that didn't end up happening. And also, like you alluded to, the Kyle Lowry narrative has been kind of rubbish for a long time. Especially he's he's not as good as his regular season self. If you're going to quibble with the numbers, he doesn't perform at the very same level, but he's never ever a detriment to the team and he's always always an overwhelming positive. With that being said, during the regular season, Bledsoe held him to 0 for 11 from the field. And Bledsoe was, you know, his first team all defense. Were you surprised at all with Lowry not just having his, you know, intangible performance that he always brings, but that he was kind of like great as far as shooting the ball, getting to the line, which we haven't seen Kyle Lowry get to the line at that clip for a year and a half, maybe? Were you surprised Mm -hmm. with his performance on the offensive
0: end? Not particularly. I mean, it, with him, it was always like I think his value offensively, the, you know, the 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 threes that he hit, I think it was at the start of game five, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was game five where it looked like the Bucks were going to just kind of run away and then Larry just kept them in minute early like that type of. Kyle Lowry performance surprises me a little bit, but when he's aggressive, drawing fouls, as you said, really stopping runs, which I don't have a stat for that off, like available, but I feel like almost every time the Bucks look like they were trying to run away with a basketball game, Kyle Lowry would just kind of put his head down and, and draw a foul on Malcolm Brogdon or, or George Hill or, or whoever um, in secondary transition. And so – I wasn't entirely surprised. I just think he's such a smart basketball player who does all these little things. There's, you know, the clip going around of him kind of nudging Giannis on that. Uh, Uh I I guess at the time it was, it was believed to be a game ceiling block, but that was a little premature, but that block that, I mean the dunk, but the dunk that, that Kawhi Leonard had left-handed over Giannis where you know, uh, Kawhi just, I mean, I'm sorry, Kyle Lowry just does all those little things where he just nudges, Giannis and kind of probably fouls him. Um, but he's just so smart and so veteran. He's so savvy and everything he does is... Uh, it, I thought he was very under control throughout the series. And so, I, I mean, to answer your question, no, I, I was not really surprised. I don't think I was surprised by anything that Kyle Larry did in the series.
2: I was a little bit surprised by the volume at which he produced. Mm-hmm. I, knew that, I knew that he would be the ultimate game manager, as he always is. I do, I do expect from him, since he's one of the maybe 10 players league-wide who always have their finger on the pulse of the game, they really know when the momentum is swinging or when they really need to pile on. And he's always been really good at stopping a run or hitting like a, uh, well, I don't know how to say it, the PU3IT, pull-up three in transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poo-it. Um, <laughs> he's really good at pulling those, like, in the middle. Well, you know, NBA Twitter uses it a lot, um, or in writing. And he's really good at pulling those in the middle of a run and really hammering down other teams. He's always had that. But like for a lot of the season, after his crazy hot start, a lot of the season, and then early in the playoffs, it was like a good Kyle Lowry game was like 14 points and like eight assists and all these crazy little plays that he's he's diving after balls. He's getting steals. He's commandeering the back end of the defense. He's his closeouts are immaculate. He's doing great on that end, things like that. But having him come out and have a couple like 20-point games, 19-point games, really, really good for the Raptors and really speaks to how he raises their ceiling that they were able to beat the Bucks. So keeping the eye on Kyle Lowry, he's going against Steph Curry. For the first mm. time, we get to see a, a Lowry in the finals against Steph Curry, which is an extremely fun, I think, for... The people who are fans of both players are both really, really high IQ, very cerebral, can both pull up for three, one obviously better than the other. But that's a matchup where neither will probably guard, well, Steph will probably guard Kyle. But Kyle probably won't guard Steph, I don't think. I think Dan Green will probably guard Steph. Kyle will probably guard Clay. How do you think Kyle Lowry fits into this series going against the Warriors?
0: Oh, that's interesting that you said, That you don't think that Lowry will guard Steph
2: I I don't think at all
0: I think uh, so I mean we might as well just kind of jump into this here right now but to me the key for this series will be or a big big factor will be how the Raptors defend the uh, Steph Draymond pick and roll and whether or not they can eliminate it entirely Uh, obviously Steph gets off, off ball a ton. And I think, you know, we're, we're as analysts, we try to look at, you know, who's going to match up with who, but in reality, everything's, everyone's going to be switching constantly in this series. I think they'll go to a ton of split action, uh, with KD out. So we'll see a ton of off ball switching and blah, blah, blah. But I, I mean, for me, when I look at it, I, I kind of like, I mean, I kind of like, I kind of like Danny on clay and I'm confident with if they were to go to the Steph Draymond pick and roll. I like Kyle switching on to Draymond and not having a problem. And either Siakam or Kawhi or whoever defends, uh, whoever defends Draymond um, really handling that on a switch. So that's kind of how I'm anticipating it. And obviously... Danny can, I don't think the Raptors will be petrified if Danny Green is the one who switches on to, to Draymond. But I kind of just like Kyle more in that particular matchup. Um, and so, yeah, and I, I also, you know, when it comes to Clay and defending him, you know, obviously a lot of it is running off screens and and watching out for this, the aforementioned split cuts but it's also you know who is most effective kind of wreaking havoc havoc off the ball. So I don't really want Kyle to be locked up in the corner on a lot of these possessions the ones where Clay just kind of forces his man to hug up on him and make it a four on four situation. I'd rather just kind of take Danny out of the play. And just let Kyle be a little bit more of a roaming havoc inducer, if that makes any sense. Um, so that's kind of my read on what will happen. And, you know, I, I've briefly looked at the regular season matchups between these two teams. But it's just like so many players were in and out of the lineup. I didn't really put too much stock into it. But why would why do you think that Lowry will will be on uh, we'll start on clay?
2: Well, first of all, that's the beauty and the intrigue of this series is that you and I, who when the last time you came on the podcast, between the players that we liked a lot and just the strategies that we thought would be used, we, we agreed on almost everything. But right here, <laughs> off the start, there's so many things up in the air that we have completely different ideas of how they're going to defend. And firstly, is that Lowry had, he did a great job on Middleton, I thought, and Middleton stylistically is not the exact same as clay, but neither one is particularly good as a ball handler using for like pick and rolls, much better operating off ball and coming out of like dribble handoffs, things like that. And Kyle's really sticky off ball. And I know you said that and this is just me watching the Raptors and maybe, you know, Clay might be better. Well is definitely better at punishing players off ball than Middleton is, but I do like having Lowry at the back end of the defense because he's really, really good at directing traffic, and that's part of, I think he really, really helps the Raptors look like that living organism type of defense that they were able to be against the Bucks sometimes where it's, even if the Bucks create a shot, the closeout comes, but the rotations are so smooth that everybody just kind of moves, and then the shot that was there is immediately erased. I like Collar in that type of position. And just from the Raptors, how they've played this year, like Kyle Lowry hardly guarded Curry in the game they played. Fred VanVleet guarded him, and Danny Green guarded him, and Kyle Lowry took the bulk of possessions on clay. Like you alluded to, though, Gasol wasn't on the team during either of those games. Leonard was out for one game, and then Curry and Green were out for the other game. There's not much right. to wean from that, but, man, it's... I do like Kyle on bigger players, and that's why I like that you brought up the, um, the Kyle Switch. switching onto Draymond thing. Definitely a really good idea, and it leans into this. I really like the idea of throwing every once in a while uh, Pascal Siakam on Curry, um, defensive assignment, but the, the, the reasons that I mentioned already, that's, that's why I like Kyle on clay, and Danny as far as on Curry, The Raptors have opted, well, has opted to put Danny on scoring guards for most of the year. And I think he'll probably start that way. It could change. It could definitely change. Lowry's a dog. He'll probably be up for it. But I think they'll start with Danny Green.
0: No, and even thinking back to, like, years back to when Danny was on the Spurs and they would go up against the Warriors, I mean, Danny had a lot of relative success, I think, just hounding... Curry and making his life miserable on the ball. And that's kind of his best role. But I also am not sure how. I mean, this isn't a reason against it, but I'm just not sure how many minutes Grand Green will play in this series relative to the past. I mean, do you think we'll see more of Danny in this? This feels like a series more for him than the last one. But um, I mean, man, Fred. Fred is just so. Like I feel like yeah, he's only a critical player for this team, and totally. so it'd be really interesting to see just kind of how their minutes were divvied up in this series as opposed to the last one, and whether or not Nick Nurse prioritized defense over shot creation and and all that. I, I, there's just so many different uh, different permutations here to discuss. It's really fascinating stuff.
2: Yeah, I think for me, I you know I wrote about. Norman Powell, why he was able to be so good against the Bucs is because the Bucks' defensive principles are really simple, and Brook Lopez isn't particularly a creative defender, neither is Giannis. They're just so much athleticism on Giannis and length for Brook that when they're positioned correctly, and more so Brook than Giannis, that he can be a very big deterrent at the rim. But the way that the Bucks played, it left a lot of room for Norman Powell to attract or attack sorry in straight lines and that you know their defensive principles are quite simple that Fred Van Vliet there wasn't much for him to figure out he was just not able to make his imprint as a ball handler in that series with Draymond Green sitting back at the rim Norman Powell attacking starts to look a lot more difficult probably because Draymond Green can stunt a lot he can really really make it tough for guys like Norm Powell who aren't very creative going to secondary or third options when they're attacking and Fred and Danny, I think will be very big in the series. I think Norm Powell will be phased out, but as far as do they go with Danny or Fred, I think they'll both be very important and I have faith in Danny to, to hit shots. I know we've been waiting three series for it, but (laughs) hopefully it comes around. I've, that's been the most negative tweet I've put out all year is, I'm mad at Danny Green. How do I stop? Like, something like that. But I, I I have a lot of belief in Danny Green, but also a lot in Fred. And I think Fred will be a lot more useful in this series as more than a shooter because that's basically all he was besides his defense. And he's a good defender. Fred's definitely sticky and tenacious. But... As far as on offense, he just had to be a shooter against the Bucks because he, cre- he couldn't create against their length. And as far as... I think I think Danny will play more minutes than Fred. That could definitely be wrong. But that, that's a great question that you pose. But I... Jeez, this backcourt matchup, and especially since KD isn't even back yet. Nuts. I don't know how it'll shake out, but I think it'll be Lowry on clay and Green on Curry. And then whoever hits first, right? However game one goes, things could get really crazy afterwards.
0: No, I I think this will be a series full of adjustments, full of different lineup experiments. I mean, particularly with KD out and potentially Cousins back, I mean, I I don't know how attractive playing Cousins any meaningful minutes is to Kerr at this point. He was pretty, you know, he did not, he, he did not sound like a guy who was confident in, in Cousins' ability to impact the series or move the needle at all. Um, what are your, I guess, I mean, I'm just, I have so many questions about the series and, uh, you know, I've watched a, a, every Raptors game in the playoffs so far and a lot of regular season, but you've obviously been a little bit more closely attuned to them than I. Um, who do you think Kawhi defends without uh, KD on the floor
2: this yeah this is the big question I think they leave the Kawhi on Draymond for later I think that's the adjustment they go to so I think they'll start with Siakam Mm -hmm. on Draymond and I think that because Kawhi is a free safety and operating as this guy who can stick his hand in multiple cookie jars during defensive um possessions is really, really interesting from the Raptors' point of view, and just having him, his length and his sensibilities on defense, being able to hang off of, like, an Andre Iguodala or whoever ends up slotting up at the three is really dangerous. And if the Draymond Greens, Steph Curry, or Curry and Green pick and roll provides too much, then I think that they go Kawhi on Green and they start switching and trying to pull up those possessions. But even then, like Curry, he's, he can out fox Leonard sometimes. Even as good as Leonard is, Curry is sensational. But I think that Kawhi starts out on whoever starts at the three, provided that Igu- Iguodala is healthy. And then Siakam on Draymond Green, which Siakam is not bad at all. Siakam can do a lot of things. He was almost all defense this year.
0: I think just from watching the film, I'm, I just wrote a big thing about Siakam, so he's in my mind. Um, from watching a lot of the film from the, the second round and the conference finals, uh, Siakam's defense is just so game changing, and I, I really think that you know I don't know I don't know what your thoughts are about the, the the Steph Draymond pick and roll and whether or not they'll trap that or whether or not they'll switch that with Siakam. But I mean, I just think with Siakam. He, he opens up so many different options for you, and to put him on Draymond, who just was not guarded at all during the um, conference, I mean, throughout the whole postseason, I guess you could say, just not defended at all whenever he's out on the perimeter off ball, um, just letting Siakam kind of roam and, and blow up pick and rolls elsewhere on the floor as a help guy. I mean, I don't think anyone has been quicker has quicker closing speed from one block to the other defensively. He's, he seems to just completely take over games with that ability. Um, But I, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of another question to ask you about this series. And there's like a bajillion in my head, but you know, in the scenario where Steph, I mean, do you think that the, the Warriors will even go, we try to, Diagnose this right now, but do you think even think the Warriors will try to attack with pick and roll? I mean, that's not—it's not like the fundamental basis of their offense. They ran it a ton against the Blazers, and they ran it a ton with a lot of success against the Rockets in, in in that series, clinching victory without KD. But I still think that we're going to see a ton of split action. And what I'm most interested in is. Toronto's defense and their discipline, and whether or not their length and their intelligence and their just their athleticism can really screw that up in a way that, you know, the Warriors have. I think this might be the best defense that the Warriors have faced throughout the past five years. And it might be a hot take, but I just think with the way that they play, this defense was basically built to stop that. And I, I just don't know. I don't know how they can sc- I mean, it's stupid for me to say, I don't know how they can score. I know how they can score, but I don't know how they can score when, you know, there's a lot of those possessions that, you know, I think back to the rocket series from last year and how they switched constantly and with a lot of discipline and athleticism, but less than this Raptors team has. And, you know, KD bailed them out so many times in that series. Now they don't have him it's, it's going to be really fascinating to me. And this is why, you know, I I lean in every discussion that I've had about this series. I just, I lean towards the Raptors because of this. And, and I don't know how crazy that sounds and I've disrespected the Warriors. I feel like before in the rocket series, when I did not think that they had a chance after KD went down, but If you can switch as well as I think the Raptors can, you know, I thought that their switching in the Buck series was phenomenal, um, and really hurt Milwaukee's kind of flow, read, and react offense. I think that it's just a it's a it's a huge problem that the that the Warriors have not faced so far.
2: Yeah, I think. Well, you said a lot of things there, and a lot of them (laughs) a lot of them a lot of them correct. And there are a couple questions posed in there, and I'll be happy to get to all those. So, firstly. There's gonna be tons of split action. We're also gonna see elevator plays. There's gonna be so much improvisational things coming from the Warriors' offense, like there always is. And they've been, I guess, they're reluctant to go just into pick and roll all the time unless that's the clear way to go. Like when they saw Cantor in the middle, they're like, "Okay, Cantor's the guy. We gotta cook him. We gotta do that in pick and roll." So, for one is try and get picking high screens in the middle of the floor and try and involve Mark Gasol. That's one of the main ways that they can score. As of right now, I haven't seen either Blake or Eric or Lewis or any, Vivek, any of the guys, write about how the Raptors might respond to that if Gasol's put in that action because the Raptors might ask him to, to hedge and use his hands and try and really push Curry out farther and see if they can scram, see if they can do things like that. Or they might try and drop and have Danny Green go over top and try and hang over top so Curry has to go in for mid-range jumpers. We saw, I think, Dan Devine wrote about it, that the Jazz and the Bucks played James Harden that way to keep him off the line, run him into the mid-range. So I think one way that the Warriors can really vex the Raptors is to keep trying to put Gasol in the pick-and-roll. If there's a really good response there from the Raptors' defense, then that's terrific for the Raptors because then they've negated one of the, the chief, I guess, mismatches that's perceived in the series is putting Gasol in high screen role. Outside of that, a lot of the off-ball actions that the Warriors run are, are very high IQ plays, and it's a lot of high IQ cutters. Clay, Iguodala, Livingston, Curry, like the relocation from... Curry and Clay has always been so fantastic. But the Raptors defense, like you alluded to, I, I agree with you. Yeah, they're brilliant. They're one of the smartest teams I've ever seen play. And I, I agree with you that they're the I would say the best defense that the Warriors have played in their time is this dynasty. And thinking about the Raptors responding to those cuts and responding to those, you know, those plays that kind of behoove them to to be tricked. I think that they'll be very disciplined, as they have been for so long, and not having Kevin Durant as a counter, because that was, man, that was what Kevin Durant was, because what the the Cavs did was they played this tough, gritty brand of defense, they revered every single possession, and they beat the Warriors because they mucked the game up, the Raptors muck the game up and the Warriors' response was to go to KD so it was like if you're not going to let us play this fast type of game, you're not going to let us breeze through our sets and get the shots that we like, we're just going to hand the ball off to Kevin Durant who's going to give us 50-40-90 regardless of all NBA defense or bad defense whoever. But KD's not there for at least the first two games. I think the word is that he's not traveling with the team. I'm not sure if that's been changed since I heard that but not having KD could be really, really crazy because I think the Warriors have struggled the most against defenses that really, really get into you. And the Raptors, man, they can get into you. I I I am very, very high on the Raptors. I for the round table that comes out tomorrow, I picked them in seven. As crazy as that sounds, I I have a lot of faith in the Raptors being able to do that.
0: I I have them in six, so
2: six? <laughs> oh my god michael Uh, i man i love you for that thing (laughs) thank you so much
0: no i mean look first of all i want to just say what you had to say about gasol is really interesting i actually think that what they'll do in that those situations i mean they'll they'll try a lot of different things i think they'll drop i think you'll have sure danny or even kyle fight over the screen push curry into the mid-range sure i also like how because Saul is so deceptively fast on the perimeter in trap situations on the side. And I know you said middle pick-and-roll, but you know if you can get him to the side and you can force that pass, that pocket pass to Looney, Looney's been terrific. I assume that he'll be the... I, I assume that Mark will take that responsibility, and I assume that he'll start also, although who knows? Maybe Kerr starts small and, and tries to just get really weird right away. Well, I don't know. I guess we'll see, but Looney as a playmaker in those four and three, I'm not even close to as worried about uh, as I w- would be with Draymond. Um, so that's for that. And then like, I think that this series honestly is just so it's, it's almost like a finals MVP or bust type of series for Steph Curry, who, a lot has already been pre-written about his legacy and what this series will do to it. I think that if he plays extraordinarily well, um, obviously they're almost unbeatable when that happens. And I think that'll ring true. I just, I, I feel like there are a lot of defensive ways to take him, not take him out, but make his life really, really difficult. And one of the other primary ways that any team can make curry's life difficult is with the 3-1 pick and roll on the other end just really make him work hedge and recover hedge and recover switch on to Kawhi. that i think is going to be just an absolute nightmare honestly um for him and i think Kawhi in these situations even though this isn't necessarily something that the raptors want to do and they're not as accustomed to playing this way as the rockets were with harden who basically hunted Curry on every single possession. But I think that if you have uh, if you have Curry on, whether it be Danny Green or if you just take Danny off the floor and you make him guard Van Vliet or Lowry, those two setting screens for Kawhi, those two are really good screen setters. I, I mean, I just think that that could be where the series is won for Toronto and I don't know what the answer is. I think Kawhi's ability to attack and get uh, curry and foul trouble the playmaking we saw from Kawhi when he gets into a crowd the way he's found the three-point shooting the way he found three-point shooters in the buck series was just i mean that was just like chef's kiss brilliance i i, I just think that this is we're going to see a lot of that and i don't know how the warriors will respond they never really found some kind of genius answer when teams attack curry like this Uh, You know, they have him do a lot of different things, but I I think Kawhi is on a level of physical um, imposition that's on the level of uh, what LeBron did to Curry uh, a few years ago. So that's a huge thing that I'm looking for personally, and we'll see how often, you know, Curry gets those two quick fouls and that, that completely changes the game because there's no KD. There's, I mean, if you just look at the numbers with how Golden State's offense performed when Curry was not on the floor, they were absolutely wretched. They always have been. So when you don't have KD and you don't have Curry on the court, it's really difficult for this team to generate offense.
2: I, I love the point you just made, honestly, is there has never been a solve that the Warriors have provided to that type of defense on Curry. I really like that you pointed out it just depends on whether Curry transcends himself. If he's able to perform at a really high clip, then he kind of eviscerates that type of defense and makes it unimportant. But if he's not playing at a really, really high clip, then he gets smothered, and the Warriors' offense turns kind of gets wrecked. And then, like you said, and I'm surprised I didn't bring it up earlier, but having Kawhi run onto Curry, getting that switch, or just having him hedge and recover, hedge and recover, hedge and recover, two times a possession it might slow down the Raptors' offense. They might stall out a little bit at the start if Curry's still doing that, but eventually they'll probably start getting there. And that's, yeah, that's the thing is, like, Curry, even though he's made his improvements on the defensive end from when he was known as a, a sieve, he, like, he's, he's a good defender during the regular season, but he has his limitations in the playoffs, and there's like five guys in the league that can really take that mismatch and punish them. And after James Harden, Kawhi is probably the next best guy and maybe the third or second best guy is Kevin Durant, but he's on the opposite team. What do you, what do you think happens when KD comes back? What do you, how does that change? I guess the the identity of this series.
0: I mean, I think it'll just be fascinating. Um, if he does come back, uh, and, you know, if slash when he does come back, what is the series status at? You know, are the Warriors up 2-0? Or are they down 2-0? Um, I, I mean, the, the obvious question is, you know, does Nick Nurse throw Kawhi on KD from the jump? And, I mean, that would—I I don't know if he'll do it right away. I think he'll, he might want to just kind of see how KD's body is, see how he's moving— I mean, if he's a volcano from the jump, then obviously you have the the luxury of putting someone like Kawhi on him and doing your best. Although, you know, thinking back to the uh, the Thunder Spurs series from, I think it was 2016, uh, I mean, KD really kind of flexed on Kawhi, I think, in that series, particularly in the closeout game. Uh, so that's something to just kind of keep in the rear view. But, like... This KD is not that KD in a lot of ways, and this Kawhi is not that Kawhi. Um, I personally think Kawhi is the best player in the world right now, and KD is a guy who has this, you know, tear in his calf. That seems kind of important. So, I don't know, like, when KD comes back, you know, does he obviously the Warriors have a lot of experience playing with him, but going from how they play without him to suddenly playing this way with him where he needs to get his 20-plus shots and uh, the way he gets them where everything is a little bit more stationary than than otherwise and probably not as enjoyable uh, of an experience for everyone else on the team. I, I, I don't know. I think it's... Uh, I, I'm not going to really get into the are they better or worse with him because I I just think they're different. Um, but if he's not 100 percent and he's playing and he's not, you know, hitting those contested mid-range shots over Kawhi Leonard, which is just such a ridiculous ask of anybody, I, I don't know how much it will matter, to be honest with you.
2: That's yeah, that's so interesting, right, is because the injuries, injuries are important and you don't come back from an injury just as if you were playing the whole time and you don't come back at your peak, or that rarely does happen, I should say. And that's, I think, I've been operating, and most people operate that as soon as KD comes back, like he'll start killing it, and that he'll just be another focal point in the Warriors' offense. But like you alluded to, there's a bunch of complications with bringing him in and making sure he's effective and for the same reasons that obviously KD is a much better player than Boogie, but would the Warriors even want Boogie in this series? Because he might really bog down some of the things that they want to do. He might offer up, because I don't think he's as good defensively as Kevon Looney. He might make like the pick and roll for Kyle Lowry and one of Serge Ibaka, Marcus, Saul, even Pascal. Really dangerous, because if DeMarcus Cousins is left out playing any type of defense, like Siakam is one of the fastest dive men in the league... He's gonna beat like the help there, there's so many things, man, but
0: I ugh. think the last thing i i I'll, I just want to say and get this on the record is that if KD comes back and they start the death line up, I don't know I don't know what Marcus Sa does there, and that could be a little bit of a tricky issue where all of a sudden you're really relying on Serge Ibaka at the five and Serge Ibaka has held up, I think, pretty well in isolation. If they choose to again switch the pick and roll, um, but Abaca defensively, in terms of IQ, uh, you know, it could get a little dicey there. But I, I mean, I just don't know. I don't know who Gasol defends there and how he's able to stay on the floor. But I, I, I could be wrong. I mean, they could try to do, you know, try to really utilize Gasol's brilliance on the other end to kind of make up for it. And, you know, he's not Boban Marjanovic or anything like that on defense. But I think that that, that could be a really tricky variable if they're able to just, you know, ex- almost exclusively play the death lineup as they did in the, the series against against Houston.
2: Yeah. It, well, it'd be so interesting, right, is because Serge Ibaka is sitting there as... He was a, a very, very good starting center for the Raptors for most of the year before Gasol came in. He was taking most of the starts over Jonas Valanciunas, and that's not a slight to Valanciunas. Like Ibaka was a very, very good starting center. He makes $20 million a year, and he's coming off the bench for the Raptors, and he's still quite good. Can he blow up some of what the Warriors bench tries to do? Fred Van Vliet as well. It seems like the Raptors have more honest-to-God talent on their bench, even if it's been a talking point. I guess the last thing before we kind of get out of here, what what do you think about the bench lineups? How do you think that factors into the series?
0: You know, heading into the conference finals, I thought that uh, Golden State was a like six and a half or maybe even five and a half player team. And I mean, their bench really shut me up. (laughs) <laughs> in the conference finals. I I, I think Kerr's willingness and, you know, uh, I think a lot of this was, to be honest, maybe not the most respect for their opponent. I think Houston is a better team than Portland and just had a more a stranger, you know, path to where they were. Um, but, I mean, I, I just... I'd like how... Toronto's depth kind of allows them to just play different lineups. Um, One group that I really think is interesting that I don't necessarily think we're going to see a ton in this series, but one that's had a little bit of success is, you know, going super big, which is always an option and just trying to overwhelm with size. But we haven't, we didn't really see that against the bucks too much. And uh, it was kind of a, a, a break in case of emergency thing against a team like Philly, which is just humongous, but I don't know, man. I, I I just, I I like, I like how they can play Fred and Kyle at the same time. I think that that look is really dangerous. Um, uh, and creates a lot of different tricky, uh, options for, for golden state's defense. I, you know, um, we'll see what Sean Livingston has left in the tank. It looks like this might be his the last series of his great career, which is uh, like subplot number seven hundred thirty-five, but also like super interesting to me. Um, so uh, yeah, there's just a ton going on here. Like, will you know, will Jonas Jerepko get brushed off and hit three threes in game one and be a hero? Like. You you just you never know when it's just one series and and uh, it it's just it's so fascinating. I can't believe we have like a few more days to wait for this. This is like why isn't this game on tonight? It's killing me.
2: Yeah, I guess pointing to your comment about Serge Ibaka and then Fred VanVleet, the jumbo lineup, then the two point guard lineup, it would be really really interesting to see if the Warriors kind of got a little bricky, if things stopped going their way, and the Raptors, if they're having Kawhi trying to iso, they put Ibaka in and have Ibaka really, really at the four go after the offensive glass and see if they can just kind of crush the Warriors for maybe like a three or four-minute stint, see if they can get away with that maybe a couple games in the series. That's interesting. But also, if the Warriors are, they're shooting well, need to give more chase off ball, having Van Bleet come in and then shrinking the lineup a little bit is is really good. And that's that's why the, the Raptors are, they seem like the pick because in the playoffs, being having variety and having a lot of variables that you're successful in seems like one of the main reasons any team wins is that the Raptors have won in so many different ways this year and defended in so many different ways and just having the whole Kyle Lowry pick-and-roll offense and then having the Kawhi iso offense and then the Kawhi pick-and-roll offense and just the Marc Gasol elbow offense or the Marc five-out offense. There's a lot to do, and I don't think the Warriors can take all of it away in succession. And I think that the Raptors might be... like I, I think they'll be better at taking away what the Warriors do than the Warriors are at taking away what the Raptors do, which is... You know, those are the games when it gets down to it. So I guess even though you said it before, give me a paragraph on why you think the Raptors in six, and then uh, then we'll get you out of here.
0: I mean, who do you think is the best player in the series?
2: Kawhi Leonard. Easily. <laughs> okay, maybe not easily. The Steph is incredible, but I Kawhi, I
0: love the guy.
2: He's so good.
0: Right. So yeah, I'm with you. I think Kawhi's the best player. I think he is currently, you know, healthy KD aside, I think he's the hardest player to game plan against in all of basketball. Um, I tweeted that before the playoffs began and people, you know, my mentions were not very kind, neither were my DMs, but um, I stand by that. I think he's a guy who, when you are so effective in the mid-range and you really live there, there's just more space to create space more, more space to create space, uh, for yourself and more, just more different things that you can do there. And I don't know. I just don't, now that he is kicking out and finding, you know, being a willing passer, I think the, uh, the Sixers series was a really nice, uh, experience for him in terms of what do I do when they trap me and try to squeeze the ball out of my hands? He was holding on to it a little bit too long, making kind of crazy decisions, and in the Buck series, that was all cleaned up and we saw what happened. So I, I have all the faith in the world in this person. I think he's the best basketball player alive. Um, and I just, the reason why I have them in six is he's this, the type of superstar where, like, he's just not phased by, his performance will not be phased by a closeout game on the road in the last basketball game. Ever played at Oracle Arena like these all this different all the all the riffraff everything it it just will not phase him he is the epitome of even Keel I have the utmost respect for every single area of his game and if I have to pick anyone to go down with the ship it's it's this guy
2: yeah and I I recorded yesterday with Katie Heindel and we had a a question asked if he was going to close the book on both the Heedles. And the Warriors. And God, that would be very poetic, that this man with these large alien hands was the one closing books. And just, (laughs) I I think it would be really special, and it would make sense, because dynasties don't last forever. And, you know, Kawhi Leonard seems like the guy to do it, this immovable, unfeeling superstar, who, who does feel, but the way that he's represented in the media is just this stonewall person who just comes and he can't be stopped and he just ends dynasties it would be it would make his career one of the craziest and most fun things to look back on after it's all done that he he just came in at different points of his career and just said no to dynasties he's like look your time's over pal i'm taking it away from you and he didn't have sustained like winning after that he just came in to create parody in the league to to move one dynasty along and say listen it's somebody else's time now. He's like the silver surfer or something like that. <laughs> He's an all-timer. Yeah. I yeah.
0: like that. I like that metaphor.
2: Yeah. Um, well, tell the people where they can find you, uh, what they should be reading, and uh, and we'll get you out of here, man.
0: Uh, yeah. My, follow me on Twitter, if you so would be so kindly to do it, Michael V. Pina. Um, I have a thing on Pascal Siakam, which I think will be enjoyed by this crowd uh in this audience so (laughs) (laughs) check that out uh it'll be on SB Nation and uh and yeah thanks so much for having me man this was uh this was a blast
2: yeah thank you so much for coming on I've been looking forward to this ever since we made our tentative plans and uh (laughs) it's it's been good I'm excited to read what you have in store and along with everyone else who gets to go to the finals and take in Raptors versus Warriors which is Extremely intriguing considering it's been Warriors Calves for so long. I'm excited. And yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And speaking to the, the listener, that's you, listener. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day.
1: Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that?